Well, good morning. It's good to see you. So thankful to be here. I thought we'd spend a few minutes this morning to, to revisit remembering. How many memory is shot, right? Anybody but me? Am I the only geezer in the house? You know what I mean? Somebody says something, you know, I don't remember that. What do you mean you don't remember that? that was, and then I remember stupid things. You know what I mean? Like locking Donald Pergola in the closet in kindergarten. But I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I mean, it just, our, your memory is, 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 is bizarre. But listen, here's, here's something to, to grasp about remembering. It's, the, uh, it's being able to bring one's mind and awareness. Think about that for a second. It's being able to bring one's mind to an awareness. You know what? And, and, and you and I have to be willing to revisit and see the hand of God. So many times we go back, we've got selective memory, right? We think of the junk. You dig, dig a little deeper. Peel back the onions a little bit. There was some good back then. Peel back the onion. <laughs> dig a little deeper. There was some junk back then. But God. But God. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I want us to think about today about remembering who we are and then remembering whose you are. When I, when I think about remembering who we are, I, I just think about like our earthly DNA, our qualities, you know, the representation of our name. I, I, I grew up in the, in the Northeast and, and I just remember like, I remember my grandparents living right next door to me. And I remember my grandfather talking to me about a bully in the neighborhood who was a couple years older than me. And he says, listen, you got to confront the bully. You just got to confront this guy. I'm like, did you see the size of this guy? You know, yeah, I don't care. You got to confront it. And I'm here to tell you, you got to confront your enemy. Jesus is bigger than your enemy. And it's, and your enemy isn't always a person. (laughs) Your, your, your enemy is the junk a person carries. They don't know any better. You know, they might not have an ability to tune in to the voice of God. You do. And, and so, so, so anyway, so he tells me we're going to confront it. So I said, okay, I'm going to confront this guy. I'm walking home from school one day. I look in behind me, and there's my grandfather coming down the road in his car. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull this sucker off. Mickey's walking in front of me. My grandfather guy's right next to me. I tap him on the shoulder, plow him. I go to run to get in the car. My grandfather leans over, locks the door. <laughs> Goes. And it was on. Or as you guys would say down here, it is on. <laughs> and, 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 and now, Mickey and I became best friends. Busted my glasses. Walked home, didn't get a ride home. Thanks, Gramp. You know, when I got home, there was a lesson to the fight. Do you know, in our spiritual lives, there's always a lesson to the fight? So I get home, and, and he says to me, okay, first thing I want to do, I want to help you understand how you fight with glasses. You take them off, and you throw them on a grassy knoll and fight then go back and get your glasses. Now remember, this is not a spiritual application here. I'm not recommending brawls in the parking lot because decaf's left. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm just telling you the lesson. So, okay, the reason was they couldn't afford these glasses. I mean, I got pictures, ask Chris, I got pictures of black glasses with, with electrical tape. You better know how to fight if you're going to school like that. I mean, you know, and then my 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 grandfather tells my father the story and, 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 and I, 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 had, I, I had Mickey on his back and I let him up and I got whooped. You don't ever let him up. Spiritual application. Once you got the enemy down in Jesus' name, don't let him back up. Don't let him back up. Beware... <laughs> Listen to me. Beware of godless chatter. Because the enemy wants to come in and play around with your junk. Play around with what's going down. Bring to remembrance things that aren't healthy. 
So I'm here to tell you, let's remember the good things. Let's remember who you are. The lesson for me, you're a cannador. You don't bow to an enemy. <laughs> Just, it's funny, it's like, well, I, I'm not going to tell that story because it's less sanctified. Anyway, so remember who you are. Remember who you are. And remember who God says you are. Okay, so if you remember who you are, your earthly DNA, your, 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 your makeup, I mean, listen, what we know about our families shouldn't surprise us with some of the junk we deal with, right? There, there, there's some DNA there. You, you got a short fuse, chances are your dad had a short fuse. Your grandfather had a short fuse, right? You got, I mean, there's, and, and I, listen, I'm not talking about generate. I'm, I'm not getting funkier. I'm just saying it shouldn't surprise us if we slow down. But in Christ, we're a new creature. There's a new bloodline. And we have an opportunity to embrace that. Do, would you remember with me for a moment whose you are? Jesus, listen, Jesus died for you. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was about 19 years old and in a church, I, I went to see this girl, this, this cute little blonde. The only time I could get there was, was I mean, we've been married 44 years. I, I, I mean, <laughs> sainthood. I mean, <laughs> you look in the, in the encyclopedia, they used to have Mother Teresa. They took that away and put Kristen for living with me for 44 years. I mean, it's, but I went to see her and, and I was in, I, I, in, in a service and and, and the man that led me to the Lord, Pastor Ashburn, is here today. He's sitting right there, my father-in-law. He would have rather I wasn't sitting next to his daughter in that service. <laughs> but he broke the word of God and shared Jesus Christ and the couple hundred people that went in there. I didn't even know they were there. It was like it was him and me. And I surrendered to Jesus and everything changed. Not everything was perfect. Anybody walk with a limp? There's junk in life. Life's not perfect. Jesus is. So I want every day I want to be a little less like me and a little bit more like him. Yeah. And I want you to, to see what, what listen, to the, listen to the breath of these verses that, that tell us how God defines the true you. The true you. You are sought after, it says in Isaiah. You are precious in his sight, it says in that same book. You're a new creation in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You're not condemned anymore in Romans 8. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're accepted. You're a child of God, it says in John 1. You're Jesus' friend, it says in John 15. You're free. You're the temple of God. You're God's treasured position. You are complete in Christ. You're chosen. You're called. You're an ambassador of the Most High. You're God's masterpiece. You're no longer a piece of work. You're God's masterpiece. Can you embrace that for a second? And then it goes on to say that not only are we an ambassador of the Most High, we're able to do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loves you and loves me. That's who you are as a believer in Jesus. That's a total cheat from a book, but it's good preaching. Incidentally, going old school today, no iPad. I'll push some button. It'll blow up. You know, This Is Us will come up on my Netflix. I don't know. I, I don't want, and you know, Hallmark, I'm making you think I'm spiritual here. Hallmark might come up. I mean, I, 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 so I'm just going old school, but I'm here to tell you that is so potent. That's from Greg Rochelle's book on, on disciplines and on forgiveness and on, uh, what's the name of that, the book, the red one? power to change, the power to change. So anyway, how do we deal with this remembrance? How do we want to be remembered? How do you want to re be remembered by God? How do you want to be remembered by your family? How do you want to be remembered by others? I want my kids and grandkids to remember me as not just being some guy that has a lot of fun, 
gives them whatever they want because, you know, we give our grandkids whatever you want, right? Kids ask you for five bucks, you're like, hit the road. Grandparents show up, 50 bucks. Get what you want. Yeah. You want a car? How old are you? Six? We'll get you a car. I mean, you you, you know what I mean? It's just a whole different animal, right? But I want my kids to know that their pop loves Jesus Christ and wants to live for him. That he wasn't a perfect soul, but he served a perfect God. And I want each of them to cling to that perfect God and allow God to use the uniqueness of them to present the uniqueness of him. God is that big, people. He's that big. I love what Rick Warren said. He said, without the grace of Jesus, a hopeless end. But with the grace of Jesus, an endless hope. Isn't that good? You know what John Stott said? He said this, grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. That's powerful. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's this God that we're trying to embrace. You're in the room. You've served Jesus for a long time. Let me remind you, that's how big God is. You're in the room. You're just checking this place out. I'm talking to you about somebody that's far bigger than you and far bigger than me, but that loves you so much that he would send his son to hang on a cross and take all your junk to the grave and then come back on the third day. That's a big God. Grace is so powerful. I love what Paul calls grace. He says the gospel is the grace of God. The gospel is the grace of God. I love what it says in Acts 20, verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me. This is Paul. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of the telling of others. The good news about the wonderful grace of God. Who needs to hear the good news? When's the last time you shared your story? God is so powerful. He's so potent. I love what it says in Psalm 100, verse 5. It says this, For the Lord is good, and his mercy and loving kindness are everlasting. His faithfulness endures to all generations. His faithfulness endures to all generations. I would suggest to you that if you just pushed pause... The Italians say piano, easy. Just slow life down. Just push pause for a moment. Look in the rearview mirror. If you give it enough time, you will find and see and need to embrace the faithfulness of God. It's not spooky, people. It's real. In the midst of some past pain, he carried you. In the midst of some lost hope, he came through. In the midst of a time when there's turmoil, he gave you a peace. Slow life down enough to shed bitterness and anger and frustration and embrace his faithfulness. I'm telling you, It'll put ointment on your wound. There's some good things to look back on. And there's also some ugly things to look back on. Look where you sit today. He carried you here. Don't let the ugly up again. Keep pounding away with Jesus and keep him down. Keep that down. The faithfulness of God. It's so powerful. You see, when you think about that, when you think about Warren's uh, 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 definition of of grace, and you think about the psalmist talking about mercy, just think about this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Isn't that powerful? I mean, you say that. I've heard that before. Me too. That's not original with me. I've heard that my whole life. 
But I want to get that. I want to get that. You see, all of us, all of us have to be careful when life hits because it will and it does. Don't look down and don't look away. When life hits, don't look down and don't look away. First, one of the first weeks I was at the church, 18 years ago, I came working at church. They called me up. They said, come on, I got a meeting across the street. I said, okay, no problem. I got 700 kids over here. I'll just leave them. I'll come over to the meeting. Right? right? So I go over to the meeting. I'm jumping out of my car and you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this, okay, this is when all Hades breaks loose. This is, right? I mean, this is when we're going to have a revolt, right? I mean, I got to step in a meeting. So I'm walking and I'm looking at my phone and I ran into a sign. Boom! Split my head open. I mean, you talk about feeling like a stunad. Right? I walk through the door. Who's the drunk guy that's running our school? He just came through the door. I, I'm bleeding. I'm all... I looked down. I was distracted. If I had looked up, I could have got around the sign, maybe. There was a better chance I wasn't running into it if I was looking ahead. The enemy wants you to look down and wants you to not see, have any peripheral vision, any forward thinking, or even any place of remembrance. The enemy wants us to get focused on our hurts, our pains, our anguish, our concerns, I'm here to tell you, listen, listen, look back, look around, look ahead, and look up. Just pause enough to settle and get a clear, clear picture of the faithfulness, the faithfulness of this, this, this awesome, awesome God. I love what it says in Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. I just want to, I, listen. You see, the enemy wants you to have blurred vision. God wants it clear. God wants it clear. And he'll help you. This isn't a spooky thing. It's God. I mean, God does some spooky things. I mean, you know, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. God has died. God has risen. God will come again. Right? Let us proclaim the, there are some mysteries. But this, this passage of scripture takes care of that. I got to shed my own understanding and trust the king for everything. And this is what it says in Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and, and, and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Can I make a pit stop? Add empathy to that. Hold on to loyalty, kindness, and empathy. It's a lost art. Be willing to look. Everybody wants justice for somebody else and mercy for themselves. If we're not careful, we'll be that in the church. Be willing to with empathy, look into a situation and say, okay, that guy's a turkey. This kid is off on a tangent. Keep the main thing the main thing. Just because my kid does something wrong doesn't mean I'm giving up on my kid. I'm trusting God to take care of that kid. Just because my grandkids are squirrely and I got eight of them. I'm trusting that God's going to do a miracle in every one of their lives. And God's going to use the uniqueness of each of them to present the uniqueness of him. I'm holding on for the long haul. It goes on to say this. Then you will find favor with both God and people. If you're just looking to find favor with people, push reset. Find favor with God. I said it the last time I was here. It's God, it's your family, and it's everything else. It's everything else. It's your neighbors, it's the people you love, it's your ministry, it's your call, it's all that stuff. It's your work. But the minute we get that backwards is the minute we get off on a tangent. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. 
Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. We get sidetracked with our own understanding, and we get sidetracked when we try to dictate time for God. It's in his will, and it's in his way, and it's in his time. I want to lean all my weight on on him. I want to trust him even when I don't feel it. That's one of the things we don't understand sometimes in in the full gospel church, in the Pentecostal church. This journey in our faith isn't always a feel-good service. It's not always just praise and worship. It embraces struggles. You've been in the service when everybody else is having revival and you're stuck in the mud of your pain. Whether you feel it or not, he's there and he's here. We are fellow servants and strugglers in the kingdom of God. And if you and I can embrace that, life's going to be so much easier. Because all of a sudden we're going to think, you know, how's this guy, that guy? I mean, we compare ourselves with others. We get all messed up. We get all muffed up, all... Screwed up. Can you say screw up? In a, you know, I don't know. Don't report me. I mean, you get, we get all sidetracked. Trust him. Lean all your weight on him. Look up. You know, here's... Can I tell you something? If we, just a side note. Mercy, loving kindness, and empathy. Sometimes in the church... Not this church, but in some churches. It's easier for us to cut the heathen some slack while we bury the saint. Listen to me. (laughs) Don't bury your wounded. All of us have wounds. Some are healed. Some are oozing. Some are wide open. Some are self-inflicted. Some we don't deserve. Some are because of stupidity. Some are because of ignorance. But we're the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's the one that laid it down and took it all for us. Don't bury your wounded in the church. Don't bury your wounded with your family. Don't bury the wounded with your friends. Ask God to help you wisely steward those times and just bring to them the love of Jesus. I'm telling you, it's, this is easy to preach, but God will help you. God will help you do it. Ingredients matter. I was pretty sure sure I was going down for the count this week. I I thought my wife and daughter got some kind of a phone call that I was, you know, he's got minutes. You know, it's, you know, and I'm Italian. I'm always dying. I'm dying. You know, I've I've been dying. You know, I mean, got aching pain. Oh, there it goes. Okay, they're going to cut my arm off. Oh, boy. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, I just, right? Well, my wife may... I love risotto. It's risotto. My wife makes it like nobody else. Like nobody else. She makes enough for an army. We, she puts some in the refrigerator that, you know, after we eat it up, puts it in there. I open it up and spit in it because I don't want anybody else. And I tell everybody, I spit in the risotto. I mean, stay away from it because I... I I'm selfish. When I was newly married, my grandmother was still around, and Kristen went down to meet my grandmother. How many have old ethnic memories of of your, your mom or your grandmother, right, or whatever? Did they always write down their recipes? Okay, mine didn't. I, I don't know. I, I think, 
it was a pinch of this, a pinch of that, you know, yeah, go. You know, you had very bright grandmothers. Mine, not so much. She didn't write anything down. But boy, did she know the ingredients. Kristen sat down with her and asked her all kinds of questions and said, okay, what's a pinch? What's a little bit? What's a dash? And she wrote it all down. Thank God she took the time to go back and get this lady's recipe. When's the last time you took the time to go back and find out a little bit about your heritage and see the loving kindness and mercy of God in it? Pasta vazul. Anybody eat pasta? I, listen, I ate so much pasta vazul yesterday, I thought I was going to have to bring air freshener up here. That's bean soup. I mean, honestly, I, I just, I, I ate bowls and bowls. She, she made, there's nobody to make. My daughter made pasta vazul this week, which she makes just like her mother. And I had pasta vazul early this week. I had pasta vazul. Can you see why I thought I was dying? I mean, all this stuff. The reason it works is because of the ingredients. You leave one ingredient out, I know it. I can tell you. I don't know what the ingredients are. You know? Something's wrong. I, I may not say to her, oh, Tori, that was, that was, I may say to Tori, that was awesome. Then I go to Frankie and say, what ingredient did she leave out? No, I don't. I didn't do that. It was perfect. Every ingredient was perfect and the taste was precious. I'm going to tell you about some ingredients that you can't shake in life, that you have to implement in life, that I want to master in life. These ingredients work and it's found in 1 Corinthians 13. Verses 4 through 7 from the Passion Translation. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. If I can get that one right, everything else works. I read this thing. God stepped all over my toes. There's some things in there. There's some ingredients that I haven't picked up in a while that I got to throw into the mix real quick. This works when you think about what Mother Teresa said. Preach the gospel always, if necessary. Use words. If necessary, use words. Sometimes just being love. Sometimes just enduring. Apply that to some of the stuff you and I have walked through. I want to fix everything. I want to fix it myself. I want to have a meeting and straighten it all out. But just maybe... God wants me to rest in the fact that I'm broken, that I'm hurting, that I'm in pain, but that he is love. And then we'll learn. I never liked getting sent to the room. Matter of fact, I didn't get sent to my room. I just got old-fashioned spanked. If my father was still around, he'd be in Sing Sing. Because, you, you know, I mean, I mean you know, my my. I was 42 years old. My dad was dying of lung cancer. We're at Bessie and Donuts on, on East Main Street, and, and, and we're having a cup of coffee. I'm 42 years old. He reaches for the sugar, and I ducked. I thought I was going to. I deserved every whooping, and I'm thankful for a father that loved me and disciplined me. I can't talk about that too loud if... I did have some, I did have a parent come in and said, is it okay for me to spank my kid? I said, let me pray about that. Yes. 
Just don't do it in the parking lot. Here, do it in the office. I'll turn the music up. I'll be back in five. I mean... Look back, look around, look ahead, and look up. How are these ingredients working in your life? Life's too short, God's too big. Let's just embrace his truths. The journey of life. I love this this quote from Steve Maraboli. He says, it's funny how in this journey of life, even though we may begin at different times and and place, our paths cross with others so that we may share our love. What's love look like? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Our compassion, our observation, and hope. This is a design of God that I appreciate and cherish. That's so good, people. You see, when we look back and we look around, we see the peripheral. We're so focused sometimes in one direction. If we don't look around, there may be one soul in front of you that is just resilient but there's two or three on the side that would welcome you. Just because one kid is pushing back, don't hang up your spikes on him or any other kid. We, we, we take the moment to steward life wisely and prudently and embrace the moment even if it hurts. The love of God is so powerful. Love is large, and every ingredient works. I want you to think about these pictures up here. I was just thinking about looking back. I want to tell you a little bit about the history. So first of all, here's, that's my family. I'm not kidding. There's my Uncle Joe down here in the corner. That's my Uncle Donald. The axe murderer's Uncle Rico. It's my grandfather in the middle. My dad's sitting on his lamp. My Uncle Lefty, my Uncle Charlie up in the corner. That's on on the front porch of my grandmother's house that I lived next to my whole life. I grew up with a strong sense of family. I mean, sometimes I got spanked twice. Many times I ate multiple times in a day. Everybody took care of everybody. Family was family. It was 1905, and a ship showed up at Ellis Island with my great-grandmother and grandfather and my, my grandfather and his brother Joe. They came from the Piedmont region of, of Italy, from the commune of Cravagia and from the town of Tocceno, right near Switzerland. Just gorgeous, beautiful area. That's on my bucket list. I got to get back there. Billy, we got to go. Kristen, I want to take you too. <laughs> Carol, you might as well tag along. <laughs> Anybody else want to go to Tocheno with me? Oh, that's good. Hey, let's go. Let's rent a bus. It won't take long. So here's what I get when I look back. My grandfather, Luigi Scarzella, grew up in a neighboring town there, and that's where my grandmother came from, and When they settled here, they were all stonemasons. They went to northwest Connecticut because that's where the quarries were, and they worked the quarries. My grandmother came. My grandfather met my grandmother, and they came together. But my grandmother's life was interesting. She was 12 years old, and her mother died. She had to quit school and take care of her three brothers. If you could have saw my grandmother serve those three brothers... She made a commitment to her dad and to her mother on her deathbed that she would take care of her brothers. And she did it till she died in her 80s. My uncle Louis, my grandfather Louis, went 15 times, as best we can tell, back to the old country to bring over family. 
There's not enough Dramamine in the United States to go on a boat, ship 15 times to bring family back. He sacrificed for family. He brought them to America because it was a better place. I look back. There was a big respect for God. I was raised in a Roman Catholic church. I choose to look back and thank my family for making me God aware, making me go to mass on Sundays, helping me to know that God was big, helping me to understand that I needed to respect him and love him. I'm thankful for that today. Shouldn't surprise me when I see the DNA of my family. Sacrifice. I got saved, in a, as I told you, in a little Assembly of God church in Torrington, Connecticut. I didn't know what Assembly of God meant. I thought it was a little cult. I didn't know, but they, I, I honestly, I didn't know. I just know there was a cute blonde going there, and I'm just going to... My buddy Roger said, her, I, said what's her, I said, what's her last name? He says, her name's Kristen Ashburn. Her father's a priest. I said, oh, this is interesting. Had no idea you were, I thought you were a priest at first. You didn't wear a collar at all. And I found Jesus, and then I was aware of the assembly. Can I give you some roots about what the assembly, if we look back into our movement, Pastor Zach, in 1906 in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, a revival broke out that birthed the assemblies of God, our fellowship. Red and yellow, black and white from every denomination that you can imagine came together to experience an extraordinary move of God. Not everything they understood, but they were going to trust God. Out of it birthed the assemblies of God. Out of that revival birthed this, a hunger for God. How hungry are you for God? A great love for everybody. A commitment to God's word. A dedication to the Holy Spirit, to evangelism and to missions. And a dedication to the restoration of the New Testament church in which you're sitting. This is a New Testament church. Assemblies of God's probably got twelve to 14,000 churches in the United States. Thousands overseas. Planting churches every day. Because the Spirit of God got a hold of them in 1906. And people didn't let what they understood or what they thought get in the way. They simply stepped in and trusted God. 1958, a young couple from Southeastern University, after Tom Whitten was laying under a piano at an altar service at Southeastern University, saying, God, where would you have me go? God planted Concord on his heart and mind. You come down to multiply Concord, you see the Whitten Auditorium. He showed up with his wife, Betty, in 1958 with a 17-foot trailer home. Moved into a movie theater. Back in the day, if you went to the, you, you were going to hell if you went to movies back then. You might be now. No, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I mean, back in the day, the holiness movement, right? You didn't cuss. You didn't chew. You didn't go out with girls that do. Just, I heard that somewhere. I don't know where. I mean, it was just, right? I mean, it was all kinds, you know. If your wife chews, I'm sorry. I mean, I just, but, but I, it, it was a different time in a different place, but he used that movie theater. Isn't it interesting? That just six years ago, in 2017, Multiply multiplied its first church in a movie theater in downtown Davidson and brought a kid from Southeastern University to show up here and to have a heart from another kid that was Southeastern University at Concord Multiply. Listen, we've just begun, people. But when you look back, can you see the hand of God? If we're not careful, we get caught up in the, me in the messes and in the, in the detours of life. See the hand of God. How would God... 
How could his hand move from 1906 to here with such a flourishing of the gospel because of the dedication of hearts and souls for him? Problem is, sometimes we go weary in the journey, right? Anybody get a little tired? I remember my kid, Zach, was running on a, on a cross-country team. He should have never been there, and they, they blew the, 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 the gun, and he took off, and he took off sprinting. Anybody run cross-country? I mean, he sprint, he's out ahead. He never showed up for the finish. I mean, I, we don't, I think he went to Sonic. I don't know what happened. I think he was just thirsty. But I'm just, you got to pace yourself. It's a journey. We've got to pace ourselves. Look what Galatians 6, 9 says. So let us not grow tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Keep the main thing the main thing. Just keep it simple. This message is so... I'm telling you people, if we just keep it simple, sometimes we try to go down deeper and we, we don't come up any reacher. Master the basics. Love God. Love your family. Love your kids. Love the church. Serve in the church. Love your neighbors. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's amazing what God will do <laughs> through you and me if we don't give a rip who gets the credit but God. He'll take care of all the rest. I love what Charles Stanley said. Charles Stanley said simply this. He said, obey God, obey God, and leave the consequences to him. I just want to be that guy that obeys God. I'm a whole lot closer to living a life of obedience than I am at 65 than I was at 19, but I haven't mastered it yet. But guess what? It ain't over yet. I'm going to keep fighting to do it. I want to, I want to act in full obedience to what God is saying. I just want to tell you a story about my friend Ray. Fifteen years ago, I moved into my little neighborhood. My neighbor Ray and Doris across the street. I went over to meet him and I introduced myself. He told his son-in-law that some preacher man's moving across the street. I went over to talk to him. And I introduced myself to him and he says, you know what, kid, I'm not too crazy about Yankees. I said, oh, tell me how you really feel. Okay. Something in me said, I'm going to win this guy over. A few months later, I tried to share the Lord with him. He told me, hey, I don't want to hear that stuff. And he didn't say stuff. Keep it to yourself. time I saw Ray, I want to mow the lawn, I'd go over and talk to him. People, listen, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm trying to leave you an example of the one time, maybe, that I got it right. But I, I'm not going to miss it again. Brought him fried chicken and ice cream and hamburgers. One day told me, I don't know, they got any fish sandwich places out there? <laughs> said, I'll find you one. So I went high tech, fish fillet, McDonald's, brought him one. Somewhere along the line, I became his neighbor. I was out in the front one day, and there were some guys in the neighborhood I wasn't crazy about, and I was telling them, You guys got to hit the road. I don't want you hanging around here. He's like, Well, we're, you know, we're, you know, we're going to. We cut down trees and we do everything and we, we want to give you, an, I, I don't want you. I hit the road. I, you know, they look shady. 
I'm talking, no, no, nothing confrontational. Ray comes out, I mean, almost walking like Tim Conway. Came over, he goes, we got a problem here, neighbor? I said, not yet. Those guys took off, he winked at me, went back in his house. Ray was 90 years old. His wife, Doris, is 86. They've been married 70 years. His wife and daughter prayed for him to come to Jesus. I paid attention one time to the prompting of God. Would you pay attention, please, just just one time, just one time. Get out of your funk, get out of the chatter, and just... Keep the main thing the main thing. How do we love our neighbors? I told his daughter, Debbie, take Doris out. Let me have a one-on-one on him. Anytime we talked about the Lord, he didn't want to talk about it in front of his wife or kid and sat down with him. And I said, Ray, I love you. He told me he loved me. Long way from hating Yankees. I want you to be right with God, my friend. Would you pray with me? He said, you're going to have to pray, but I'll pray with you. Now listen, he sat up in his chair. This guy wouldn't look. He wouldn't look. Sat up in his chair, folded his hands, closed his eyes, and we prayed. I says, Ray, do you believe that? He goes, yes, I do. A couple times after that, I I said, Ray, we're going to confirm this. Pray with me. And he did. A few weeks ago, I was leaving. I said, Ray, I'm still praying for you, my friend. He was laying in a bed in his living room. I said, you pray for me. A guy who would never pray grabbed my arm and said, keep your hand on Frank and his family. October 17th, Ray died. You see, two years earlier, he asked me, I did that because I was falling, just so you know. There's no, glad I caught myself, almost. He, He asked me to do his funeral two years ago. I said, Ray, not yet. We've got some work to do. Last time I saw him was on the 16th. His daughter had just got through talking to him and said, Daddy, he asked, what's taking so long? I want to go home. Tough guy. What's taking so long? I, I just want to go home. His daughter, Debbie, said, when you see the hand of Jesus, grab it. And he did on the 17th. Did his funeral last Friday. Had a chance to share the gospel with his family. People were coming up to me and said, we kept asking Ray, Ray, are you you right with God? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? He said, yeah, I took care of that with Frank. Ray Goodwin never gave a dime to a church, as far as I know. some that God will bring into this place and fill these chairs. That's just around the corner. The blessing of God is, 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 is all over this place. God's going to take care of all the details. Obey Him and leave the consequences. God's going to take care of it. But if you and I just do the simple things, buy some fried chicken, mow a lawn. I don't know why it took me so long to get it. But I'm so thankful that 15 years ago God saw fit to move me to my place not just to be next to my beautiful daughter but to be across the street 
from my friend Ray, who's in heaven today. Don't go weary in well-doing. Fight the good fight. Don't hang up your spikes when things get rough. God is still in the redemption business, and God wants to use each of us to present him in our neighborhoods, to our families, and at our workplaces. So people, as Manny comes and closes you in prayer, look back, see the blessing of God. See his faithfulness. Look around, there are needs, there are rays everywhere. Look ahead, and then look up. The best is yet to come. Pastor Zach, the best is yet to come. That church building, I don't even know if these guys know they got a church building. All right, so you got a church built. I mean, going to fill that up. It ain't going to be big enough. People in those neighborhoods are going to come because they're going to hear about the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And they're going to hear it by each of you and each of us just simply keeping the main thing the main thing. Practicing loving kindness, mercy, and grace, and living for Jesus. Let's keep it simple. And let's ask God to help us to fulfill that assignment in our lives. Amen? I love you guys. So thankful. Pastor Manny. Thank you.